from an atheist background. I know there is no one that can tell me there is no God. These past few years have tested my faith. A few months ago, I was ready to give up. I have lost people that were really close to me, as well as being hurt by people I love. I know the Lord wants me in the missions field for the rest of my life. God's shown me that no matter what is going on in my life, He will never leave our side. I'm, I'm never, never going, going back. back. I, I know that, that my trust, trust in God, God will not waver. I'm looking at it as my mission field, and no matter, no matter what, what happens, I'm going to trust in God. My heart was completely wrecked, and I heard the voice of the Lord speak clearly. God revealed so much to me. I know that he is making a way for me. I'm going to continue to do work with my Father in heaven. I know now that I am armed to do God's work. God shined a light on someone who brought me to Kayaf and my, my life. life has been forever changed. Not only do I feel called, but I'm now living in greater sense than awe of God. I was created for much greater things than I ever thought possible. I will do my part in bringing on the greatest student awakening the world has ever seen. Our mission is to reconcile students to Christ. Join us in transforming the university, the marketplace, and the world. One more time, give it up for Chi Alpha. We are honored this morning to have as our guest speaker, both for Berean Church and for the Regional Light Conference, Alex Rodriguez. Alex is the uh, National Training Director for Chi Alpha, and uh, I am looking forward to hearing his message this morning. My daughter, Tiffany, said, Dad, he is a great communicator. So if, um, uh, if you have, are you glad you're here? Make sure that Tiffany knows that um, you appreciate her vote of confidence. I've had just a chance, Alex, to meet you and visit a little bit. And I just want to say publicly in that short meetings that we've had, how much I appreciate your spirit and heart. There's certainly a touch and anointing of God on your life and character that reflects through the way you communicate, and we're honored to have you here. Would you join me and give a welcome to Alex Rodriguez. Thank you. Good morning, Berean Assemblies of God and Chi Alpha Great Plains. It is an honor to be with you guys, a privilege truly. If you guys have your Bibles, would you please join me in Matthew chapter 7? Verses 21 through 23. My wife, Abby, and I have been the Chi Alpha directors for New Mexico State University for uh, six years. A part of our job was mission trips, which is arguably the most fun and fearful aspect of Chi Alpha ministry. I say this because on mission trips, students can make a foreign place their home for seven days, minister to strangers who become friends in a week, experience real devotion, real community, real responsibility in a short time that can motivate them full-time. This is the fun part. The fearful part is these are college students, like I was, like some of you are, and college students at any given time can display a mind of their own or they can be absent of mind. 
which can result in many of these students becoming lost on mission trips. And there is nothing more fearful than arriving back to your home state with less students than you left with. Many of these students get lost within airports. This is why one of our trip rules for traveling through an airport is for one leader to be at the front of the group, another leader to be at the back of the group. Because without fail, what always happens is a few students fall behind. It's never because they walk at a slower pace, but because they are occupied doing numerous different things as they travel through an airport. Some students are studying while they walk, others have their heads deep into a book, some are taken up in conversation, but most of the time, it's just a few guys who are flirting with a few girls. <laughs> this is not stereotypical. This is a social study. They went on the mission trip to serve Jesus, but they're also hoping for a conversation with the opposite sex that they can overanalyze later with their roommates. <laughs> it's all right. We've all been there. And when these college students are busy doing everything as they make their way through an airport, they lose sight of the people they're a part of and begin to follow the larger crowd they're around. The people they're a part of head down Terminal B, the crowd that they're around heads down Terminal A, and without being conscious of it, these busy students falling behind head down the wrong terminal. It's at this point that I have to yell at them to get their attention like dad to bring them back to where they're supposed to be and who they're supposed to be with because they are lost and they do not know they are lost. They became mistakenly lost because they gave much attention to what they were doing. They neglected who they were actually with. This happens all too often. Have you ever been mistakenly lost? Have you ever been lost because you were so busy doing something you neglected to be aware of who you were actually with? This is the essence of Matthew 7 verse 21 through 23, where Jesus himself says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many multiple wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, meaning many are lost, and do not know they are lost because they are too busy doing something. They pay no attention to who they're doing it with. Is this not the great heartbreak of God? Many of us do not know when God has left us. Many of us do not know when we have left God. Samson served the Lord, but he was not with the Lord. Judas was a vocational missionary, yet he betrayed Jesus. Before Paul, Saul was a master of biblical theology, yet he murdered Christians in the name of defending God's honor proving it is possible to be around God without being a part of God. It is possible to let serving the Lord replace knowing the Lord. This is why Matthew 7 says many, a numerous, not small amount of people, will identify as Christian and will say on judgment day, Lord, Lord, and Jesus will say compassionately, not callously, turn away from me, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These prophetic words of Jesus exist to warn us how doing something is not equivalent to being with someone. We ask then, what is eternal life? What does it mean to be saved? Jesus in Matthew 7 turns away people from him on the grounds that he did not know them. It makes complete sense then that Jesus would define eternal life in John 17, 3 by saying, this is eternal life, the life of the ages, to know God, the one true God, and his son whom he sent. 
Eternal life is to know Jesus. With that being said, who is Jesus? The Bible illuminates four different roles the same Jesus has in a person's life. They are friend, savior, bridegroom, and king. This morning, we're going to explore what these roles mean in effort to grow in revelation of Jesus, which we are praying and believing will grow our responsibility to him. Would you pray with me as we continue this morning? Lord God, we love you. And we pray that we may see the unveiled glory and holiness and goodness and love of God. That seeing who you are will help us repent for who we are and become responsible to this lost world that we are around. That our joy will be being spent to know you and to make you known. Help us, King Jesus, to have honest hearts and clear eyes with you. In Jesus' name, amen. In John 15, 14, Jesus calls his disciples friends for the very first time, stating specifically, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. One of the roles of Jesus is to be friends with us. He says we're his friends when we do what he commands. But how do friends get to this point of agreement and alignment to fulfill commands in the first place? Allow me to tell you a story, hopefully illustrating how friendships are born. In college, I worked at a summer camp with other college students responsible for the care of kindergartner to high schoolers for any given week of time. Every week, camp counselors would be paired into a co-leading system, and much to my dismay, I was paired with a guy named Dio for that first week of campers. And I did not like this pairing one bit. For one, Dio was six foot five, and as you can see, I'm five foot nothing because my mom married a Hispanic Smurf. So... So I have this insecurity that I must battle through. It's my cross to bear. For two, he went to a Bible school that taught things I didn't agree with, and youthful Alex believed reading half a C.S. Lewis book qualified me as a scholar. That's foolish, right? And number three, he told me I did not have to call him Dio. I could call him, quote, sunflower because he is tall and radiant. And I said, we will not be doing that. So naturally, I wanted nothing to do with this tree branch of a person named Dio, but for better or worse, we were assigned as co-counselors that week to ensure the well-being of 12 first-grade boys. And when the camper's bus arrived on that hot Texas June afternoon, so began the longest day of my life. They fought the entire time, yelled the entire time, were cruel to each other the entire time. One drank too much Pepsi at dinner and wet his entire bed. Because he slept on the top bunk, he wet his bunkmate's bed too. And we have to clean it up. One of them broke someone's arm while playing a game. One of them already had a broken arm and used their cast as a weapon. When you asked them to do something, they said, I'll pray about it. Proving selfishness disguised as spirituality is really the oldest trick in the book. And this was just our first day. As the day was coming to a close, Dio and I had a conversation where it became clear. We had a common understanding and a common purpose. If the week is anything like today, we will not make it unless we cooperate together. And for the rest of that week, we worked together stopping fights, making peace, preventing broken arms, an effort to return these first graders back to their parents better than when they came. And through this process, we became friends. This process happens throughout the entire world. Simply put, when people share in a common understanding and a common purpose, friendships become made. Likewise, 
To be friends with Jesus, we need to share in a common understanding while also participating in a common purpose with him. What is the understanding and purpose of Jesus that his friends embrace? Jesus taught his disciples he is the son of God who came to take away the sin of the world. It was when his disciples understood this truth that he called them friends. Likewise, Jesus commissioned them to be witnesses to the ends of the earth, testifying himself, Acts 1, to make disciples of all peoples, teaching him, Matthew 28, to preach him so that we may present people perfect, complete, and whole, Colossians 1, to preach the gospel of Jesus to the ends of the earth as a witness so the return of the king can come. Matthew 24, it was as his disciples did this purpose that Jesus called them friends. Jesus understands it is not theological intelligence which saves a soul. It is not ministry attendance nor volunteerism which saves a soul. It is not morality which saves a soul. It is Jesus, the Son of God, who saves a soul. Salvation is not a program, nor a philosophy, nor a practice. It is the person of Jesus. And the purpose of Jesus is to disciple into another person this understanding that salvation is Jesus, which leads to the disciple taking on this purpose as well. When we have this common understanding that Jesus is salvation, when we have this common purpose that discipling others helps them understand Jesus is salvation, we are friends with the Lord. This is what it means to be friends with Jesus. Let's explore his next role. What does it mean for Jesus to be Savior. Storytelling, I think, whether it be in the pages of literature or the films of Hollywood, have embraced the depiction of saviors. There are many stories of saviors or heroes that we could look at. In the late 90s, there was a movie called Batman and Robin, where Batman saved Gotham from Arnold Schwarzenegger, pretending to be Mr. Freeze. The villain's diabolical plan was to literally freeze an entire city with complete ignorance of summer upsetting his plans. Batman shows up, he saves Gotham from the effects of someone's selfishness, but enemies continue to rise. The millennials in the room are aware of this series in the Fast and Furious movies. A band of car thieves led by actor Vin Diesel playing Vin Diesel are called on by the government numerous times to save the world because apparently these car thieves are also hackers and soldiers and leaders who can do anything better than the CIA or the FBI. The crew shows up, they save the world from the effects of someone's selfishness, but the enemies continue to rise. Perhaps every generation knows this. In the first, middle, and current Star Wars trilogy, a band of heroes unite to use laser guns in the force to save the galaxy by fighting against an army with darker laser guns and a darker force <laughs> that also wants to rule the galaxy. Heroes show up, they save the galaxy from the effects of someone's selfishness, but enemies continue to rise. In literature and film, saviors can save people from the effects of selfishness, but cannot save people from the cause, selfishness itself, leading to new enemies rising, new wicked plots forming, new evil threatening. These stories of saviors give us a glimpse of the gospel, but they're only a glimmer. Because the good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus came to save us from the punishment of our selfishness. He came to save us from the cause of our selfishness. This is what makes Jesus Savior. He took the punishment of our sin. He died so we can live. But he also takes away the cause of our sin. Emptying us of our selfish spirits. Filling us with his Holy Spirit. As E. Stanley Jones said, Jesus did not come to get you out of hell. He came to get hell out of you. As C.S. Lewis said, Jesus did not come to make bad men good. He came to make bad dead men live. 
And as the Apostle Paul says, Jesus died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. If anyone is in Christ, he says, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. As Matthew one twenty one says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is Savior. Not only because he saves us from the punishment of sin, that's restoration. He is Savior because he saves us from the cause of sin, that's regeneration. Help us. He helps us live holy by giving us his Holy Spirit. Jesus is friend. He is Savior. Look with me for a moment at how Jesus is bridegroom. Hosea 2.16. And that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, you will no longer call me my master. In the Bible, there is a common theme of Jesus being known as the bridegroom and we, his churches, as bride. I always had this belief regarding marriage that getting married would mean a perfect relationship, that my wife and I would always get along, that there would be no quarrels or disagreements, that every decision, every decision would be effortlessly unanimous. I believe marriage meant a relationship would be void of fighting. Because I believe marriage is the perfect culmination of finding the perfect people. So naturally, I was shell-shocked into reality when my wife and I had our first married fight. The fight that I remember most was a fight we had while living overseas in an old post-Soviet Union apartment. I was reading a Christian book by an old dead guy on servanthood. She had just gotten home from a long day of work and asked for the trash to be taken out. I told her I will do it later. She said I said that three days ago. I said, do not keep a record of my wrong. She said, then stop doing wrong. (laughs) I then took out the trash as forcefully and loudly as I possibly could because husband logic is the louder we get, the more vindicated we become. And as I walked to the apartment's trash deposit, grumbling and complaining all the way, justifying my behavior at the complaint of her behavior, explaining to myself what I will not do because of what she's not doing, plotting my next angry sentence to both push my wife down and exalt myself up, I hear the voice of Jesus whisper to me, how is the book on servanthood going? I repented, I apologized, and I would be lying to you if I told you that was the last fight. We've been married for 10 wonderful years and have had numerous fights, some fair and some unfair, some over silly things, some over serious things, many filled with laughter and kindness, and too many, I am ashamed to admit, filled with dishonor and rudeness. Married friends, have you had these kind of fights? Aspiring for marriage friends, you will have these kinds of fights. And what can happen before, during, and after fights is we become so infuriated with who our spouse is in contrast to who they should be that our unconditional wedding vows become conditional. We begin to think and treat one another by saying things we vowed to never say on our wedding day. Things like, I will not serve you because you are selfish. I will not honor you because you are demeaning. I will not forgive you because you are unforgivable. I will not love you because you are not the person I married. Which of course makes us fear, have we married the wrong person? Stanley Hauerwas, professor at Duke University, expands on this fear by stating, Destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic 
that assumes marriage and the family are primary institutions of personal fulfillment necessary for us to become whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and if we look closely enough, we'll find the right person. The moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect of marriage. It fails to appreciate that we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. He concludes, my wife has been married to five different men within our lifetime and they have all been me. How do you have a successful marriage if the spouse you vowed unchanging commitment to has changing character? How do you love the lovable, kind, honoring spouse when they become the unlovable, rude, demeaning stranger? It is this mystery of marriage the Apostle Paul says illuminates the mystery of the gospel. Meaning to understand Christ's bridegroom love for us is to understand how to love the spouse you married when they are behaving like a stranger you did not marry. So then... How does Jesus love his bride? Jesus saw the creation of mankind who is designed to be friends with God. He watched mankind become unfamiliar strangers to God through our embrace of sin. We attempted to live without God. We attempted to live as if we were God. The sin of selfishness and pride was carried into further generations of humanity, which led to Genesis 6 saying God repented that he made mankind. And verse 5, which says, The wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Meaning, humanity, you and I, are not lovable, we're not kind, we're selfish to the bone, we have hate in our hearts, we choose revenge over forgiveness, we delight in indulgence over self-control, we're prideful creatures that readily claim self-made status. In the realm of eternity, we are truly undesirable, unlovable, unmarriable, and yet... The gospel says in Philippians 2, Jesus voluntarily gave up his wealth of perfection to take on our poverty of selfish sinfulness so we could share in his perfect holiness. Jesus took on the penalty of our sin so we could be free to be with God again. This was not an act of forced compliance. It was the choice of love. For Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In all of scripture, there is no evidence of Jesus loving us because of us. There is evidence of Jesus loving us in spite of us. We did not ask Jesus to come and die for our sins. We did not merit his service. We cannot pay back his sacrifice. We were not living for him, and yet he lived and died for us. This is how to love the stranger you're married to. This is the love of bridegroom Jesus to his bride. Jesus does not love us because of us, but in spite of us. And that unselfish love from him more than merits and should evoke an unselfish vow to him. As Martin Luther has said, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that remains alone. As James has said, faith, commitment like a marriage, without works, conduct like a marriage, is dead. Marriage to bridegroom Jesus means the fulfilling of our vows. The Bible calls this fulfillment obedience. Perhaps to better understand obedience, we can illuminate this last role of Jesus, the king. In Revelation 17, 14, and 19, 16, Jesus is called the king of kings. 
Throughout the parables of the gospel, Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven. Jesus as the king is perhaps the most forgotten or misunderstood of his roles. The reason for this is quite simple. We do not know what it means to be in a theocracy because we live in a democracy. In a democracy, we vote on what we like. We vote on who we like. We appeal who we don't like. We amend laws that are inconvenient or viewed as outdated. We protest to get something done or undone. Because in a democracy, the focus is always, what is best for me? But this kind of self-centered behavior is not so in a theocracy. In a theocracy, you are not your own. You are the king's. In a democracy, we ask, is this politician for us? In a theocracy, the king asks, is this person for me? Joshua 5.13 illuminates this principle. Joshua has just won another battle by the hand of the Lord. He is walking along the riverbanks with sword in hand, plotting the next fight to win. As he is walking along, he sees the commander of the Lord's army. In the Bible, every time we read of a angel, that is precisely what it is. But when we read of the angel or the commander, this is referring to no less than King Jesus himself. Joshua, not knowing who he is talking to, and in a mindset of war, Asked the commander of the Lord's army, King Jesus, are you for us or against us? To which King Jesus responds, neither. To clarify, Jesus is not against us, for he is not cruel. He is very compassionate. But likewise, Jesus is not for us. For this world is not a democracy and we are not the center. When we ask Jesus, Jesus, are you for the Calvinists or the Arminianists? Jesus, are you for the Republicans or Democrats? Jesus, are you for the mystical ministers or the methodical ministers? Jesus, are you for the Baptists, Methodists, or the Pentecostals? The answer is neither. Because Jesus is king and this world and our lives are under his theocracy, the question is never, is Jesus for us, but are we for Jesus? We have to be very purposeful here. As E. Stanley Jones says, we must be sure we are not getting Jesus from our beliefs, but are getting our beliefs from Jesus. His ways trump our ways. His will overrules our will. We cannot justify our wrongness by trying to veto commands and lifestyles that God himself calls right. We cannot amend verses in the Bible to be taken out if they offend us or to not be taken seriously if they convict us. Holiness is not an optional extra. The commands of God are not up for debate. We cannot appeal the king's law. We cannot impeach the king's rule. We cannot debate his decisions. We cannot protest his providence. Because in this life, in this world, this is not a democracy governed by our opinions and demands. This is a theocracy where King Jesus rules as he sees fit. Jesus, the king, has commanded for immoral omission. He is against drunkenness. He has condemned fornication. He hates hate. He forbids unforgiveness. He has laws against lies. He commands selfishness to die. He commands for holy commission. To be holy, for he is holy. To live up to what we know. To pray without ceasing. To give our money to God, because it's really all God's. To love our neighbors. To love our enemies. To go out and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded. And his kingdom can move from heaven to earth. It's not up for us to choose which commands of the king to obey and which to ignore. It is only up to us to bow. Now it's at this point that one of us could easily object. 
this is not fair. Why should King Jesus be allowed to rule my life? Why can't I rule my own life? The answer is simple. Regarding his kingship versus the potential of our own, the Bible says Jesus is unselfish, pure, holy, 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 perfect, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful, loving mercy, acting justly, governing diligently. What the Bible says about humanity can be reiterated from Genesis 6-5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Why is Jesus king and we are not? Because he is the only one qualified to rule. We are not smart enough, not powerful enough, not good enough to be the king of the world. Do you see Jesus fully? Yes, he is friend that wants us. Yes, he is savior that helps us. Yes, he is bridegroom that loves us. But we must not forget or ignore, Jesus is also the king who rules us. And in his kingdom, loving him is evidenced by living for him. This is Jesus. He's friend, he's savior, he's bridegroom, he's king, and he must be accepted in every role, otherwise he is not accepted at all. If Jesus is friend but not anything else, we will want him but may not need him. If Jesus is savior but not anything else, we will need him but may not want him. If Jesus is bridegroom but not anything else, we will love him but may not bow to him. If Jesus is king and not anything else, we will bow to him but may not love him. Jesus must be known in every role to know the full Jesus and accepted in every role for us to be fully Christian. Does this make sense? I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand it over to Pastor. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you, O oh God, for who you are. We get to be friends with Jesus. What a wonderful privilege. And you have saved us not just from the punishment of our sin, but from the cause of sin. Thank you, Jesus, that we can live holy from here on out. And thank you, Jesus, that you have loved us not because of us, but in spite of us, which is phenomenal because we have our good days and we have our horrible days. Thank you, God, that your love is unconditional and consistent. And thank you, Jesus, that you are king. In a world where nobody is qualified to rule for themselves, you are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are governing diligently for us. Help us, Jesus, to see you in every role, to bow to you completely, to know you fully, and to make you known. May the phrase, know King Jesus, be removed from our vocabulary. May it be removed from our theology. May it be removed from our methodology. Oh, Jesus, have all of us, oh God. In your name we pray. What a powerful word. Yes. Tiffany, you're vindicated. Yes. Alex, I do have to tell you, for a moment I got hung up on a Hispanic Smurf. I got stuck there for a minute. <laughs> it's 
trying to figure that one out. But I also believe any time the word is preached, we do the kingdom a disservice if we simply walk out of the presence of the holy without pausing and saying, Jesus, <clears throat> what are you saying to me today? There's a sweet presence of God's spirit in the room right now. As rich as I felt in a long time. And I believe that God is doing something specific and purposeful in individual hearts right now. And I don't want to interrupt that. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to it. I'm not going to call anyone forward or take you to a side room, but I would like heads bowed, eyes closed just for a moment, please. And listen to what the Spirit of God has to say to you today. I'm simply going to walk you through the outline and if the Holy Spirit has put his finger on your heart that this is an area that you need to yield to or respond to in a unique way, I just want you to lift your hand at that moment and acknowledge to him that you're responding to his voice. This morning, we go through these one at a time. Maybe you need a better relationship with Jesus as your friend. You feel alone and abandoned and rejected and have forgotten that he is your friend. If you're in that hurting place this morning, the Spirit of God is here to help you. And I'd like you just to lift your hand right now and say, I, I need that in my life. Thank you. Just hold your hand up and accept that. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all around. Thank you. Savior. Oh, it's so easy for us to play church and not let the Spirit of God convict us of our sin. Judgment begins at the house of God, not in the streets of the ghetto. It begins with us who can be so wrapped up in our own works of righteousness that we don't let him touch our hearts and our relationship with him can fail. If you need him as Savior in your life right now, I want you to lift your hand and just acknowledge that to him. Will you do that? Thank you. Just lift your hand up. Thank you. Just lift your hand up. Third, bridegroom. Wasn't it shocking to understand that Christians' marriages fight? <laughs> My wife and I have been married 42 years. Um, we've had more than a couple of those fights. And that bridegroom relationship, while... Alex was preaching that the truth of that relationship settled down in your spirit and your relationship to him, and you need to surrender that to him. Would you just quickly lift your hand and acknowledge that right now? Yes, 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 yes. Hands going up all around. And church, he is king. <laughs> Whether we acknowledge him or not as such, he is king. And if there is some area of your life that you have been unwilling to bend the knee, to bow before him, I want you to lift your hand and acknowledge that to him right now. Hands going up all around, all around. So here's what I want us to do. Whatever you raised your hand for, every one of us in this room needs more of him.
We need our relationship to deepen and grow. Every one of us needs that. Would you stand with me just for a moment and lift your hands if you're comfortable with that and just open your heart to the Spirit of God that's moving in this room right now and surrender that area of your life to Him that He's been talking to you about in this message. He's doing something in you right now. You're going to leave this place different than you came. You're going to leave this place different than you came right now. Just talk to him. Jesus, we yield ourselves before you right now. We surrender ourselves before you. You have so graciously spoken to us and moved on us, and we want to respond to you right now. Come on, church, just respond to him in your own way. Let him minister to you, talk to you, change you. Spirit of God, you're in this room, and we humble ourselves and yield ourselves before you. As we just wait for a moment in your presence for you to do that work in our hearts that we need to have done. Show good day. 
the church. All my life you have been so, so week, a friend of mine passed away, successful pastor in our fellowship, Randy Valamont, went on to be with the Lord. He's, it's a shocking moment to discover that he had passed. I was teaching at the Iowa School of Ministry on Saturday, and I'm driving across the other side of Des Moines, and, and, and this song, this song, resonated in me all the way there and you know there's a difference between having a song stuck in your head and one that's singing to your spirit those aren't the same and I thought about his home going and I thought if there was a song that I'd want my life to sing it would be that all my life I've not been faithful but all my life you've been faithful and I just feel a, a real tug of the God's spirit right now and I'm not trying to belabor this but I don't, I don't want to interrupt this that there's someone here that you, you feel like because where you're at in the middle of things that are happening it's not it's not going the way you want it to go. Someone else got the promotion. Somebody's ministry is stronger. Something else is better. And you feel like God has forgotten you. I'm telling you this morning that all our lives, he has been faithful. And he's here this morning to tell you he has not forgotten you. He knows exactly where you are. And this moment of struggle are birth pangs for something greater than you've imagined that he will produce in and out of your life. So do not despair. Trust him. And in this moment where you feel alone, out of that will shine the radiance of his glory in and through your life if you will trust him in the moment of your loneliness and pain. 
I believe that's for someone this morning. So wherever you stand, if that's you, we're, yeah, we're looking around because I want us to pray for you. If that's you, you feel alone. He's saying to you this morning, he's interrupted this service to let you know that he has not forgotten you. He knows exactly where you are. And we just want to pray for you right where you stand. If that's you, lift up your hand. I know you're here. Right over here, right over here. Come on, hold your right over here. Come on, hold your hand up. You're in that place. I know you're here. Some over here and there in the back. Come on, look around. I want someone going. Hold your hand high. Go to someone that has their hand lifted right now and just put your arm around them. Don't counsel them. Don't talk to them. And we're going to pray that God will bring a warmth of his love and an assurance that he is faithful whether we feel him or not. He's faithful in the valley as well as the mountain. And God's going to do something unique and special in your heart right now because he is a faithful God. All my life, he has been faithful. Jesus, we pray for those that are in that difficult place right now. Pray that your spirit would touch them, that they would feel your love, and that you would assure them that they're not alone, they're not going through this valley by themselves, and that you have a purpose through this moment that will birth forth ministry beyond their imagination. Jesus, Jesus, all my life. All my life you have been faithful. You always say, all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I this morning I'm glad he's my friend I'm glad he's my savior I'm glad he's my bridegroom and I am so glad that he is 
my king. And everyone that believes that said, amen, 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 amen. You can be seated just for a moment. We want to give you an opportunity to invest in this ministry. The offering will go to Alex Rodriguez. If you're making out a check, those of you that still do that, make that out to Berean. One check will go to our speaker. You can also use text to give. Text the amount, dollar sign, and the amount to the keyword light to 84321. The dollar amount, the word light to 84321, and the entirety of that amount will go to our uh, guest speaker. Amen. Were you blessed by the message this morning? Let me hear your hands. Amen. When you've been blessed by the word, you need to minister back of your resources. Go and ask for the ushers to come. Do something significant for the kingdom this morning as you give. Jesus, we love you. We give out of faith and obedience and expectation of what you will do as we sow into your kingdom in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's all stand and sing this. Amen. tries to roll over my bones. Come on, you sing. When all I know, Lord, I won't be shaken. I won't be shaken. Come on, let's sing it out. Yeah, cause my feet doesn't stand a chance.
Amen. Father, we're so thankful for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And Lord, as we go, Lord, may you continue to bless. Father, as we continue to serve you and go after you in your presence. Father, we honor you this morning. We're so thankful. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.